suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Hello and welcome, dear listener. This is the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast, a podcast which we make here in Brisbane, Australia, where we talk about news and politics and sex and religion. Every second week is a little panel discussion. Every other week is a little surprise, might be a book review or something else. Today, it's panel discussion time. So I'm Trevor, a.k.a. The Iron Fist. With me, as always, is Shay the Subversive, or Sharkbait Shay. How are you? <laughs> Very well, thanks. Good evening, everybody. And Joe the Tech Guy. Evening, all. Right. So still missing Paul. It seems weird not to say Paul's always so missing you, Paul. Anyway, episode 305, and we'll talk about what's been going on in the last couple of weeks Plenty has happened around Australia and around the world, and we'll just get stuck into it. If you're watching on the live stream, say hello in the chat room. I will endeavour this time to be better about uh, referring to your comments and trying to uh, get you involved. So, all right. And I, I just want to start off with some sad news. Long-time listeners might be aware I had on the podcast at least three times was a friend of mine, Peter Toy. And Peter Peter passed away uh, a couple of days ago from a battle with cancer. And that's very sad for Peter and his family and his kids. And he was only in his 50s and it was way too early. And Pete was a good guy that I knew from my days as a... I met him when he was a first-year law student. We're both first-year law students, so... A really good guy. The episodes he was in was episode 236, Bible Study for Atheists. So Pete had a keen interest in the historical Jesus and the letters of Paul in particular. The Origins of Our Morals was episode 238. And then episode 266 was a book review on different books that were in Pete's top 10, which at that point I knew Pete was really quite sick and I was really wanting an excuse to get Pete on for some reason. And I really enjoyed that episode with his book review. So... Driving around today, it was just nice to play episode 266 and remember Peter at his best and finest when his mind was still really sharp. And it's nice to have that there for any of his friends who knew him who want to reflect back, back on, on Peter and what he was like. And he'll be sadly missed, but at least we can sort of listen to him. And he had such a great logical, legal debating mind and a good turn of phrase and and that's all there. So it's it's nice to have. So... So farewell to Peter Toy, and we're thinking of your family, Peter, and we will be looking after them. So, all right. In other news, let's start with a bit of satanic news before we get into general uh, news, and a few things have happened. So, well, you would have seen, if you're, if you're not a follower of the Noosa Temple of Satan Facebook page, you really should be, and you might recall last year we held our, our Black Mass our premier religious event at the J, at, which is the Civic Centre at Noosa. And it was a great success. And we, just in the last few weeks, have been trying to rebook the J for this year's ceremony. And 
our application has been rejected. We've been told that for workplace health and safety reasons, we've been rejected. And it's not because of our behaviour. It's nothing that we did last year. We were exemplary users of the facility, did nothing wrong. It was actually Christian activists who had rung up and abused the staff and made life miserable for them and made them feel threatened. And because of that, the J has decided we're too much trouble to rent the facility to for this year. And <laughs> if these, the way these groups keep going, I'm starting to think we really do need a religious discrimination bill. They're starting to convince me <laughs> yes. of the need for it. So, so what I understand the council is saying is if there's an event you don't like, ring up and make death threats to the council staff and that will get the event cancelled. Y- yes. So they're giving into terrorism. Yes. Okay. That's it. Yes. And fortunately, though, people like Martin Isles of the ACL and Amanda Stoker... Uh, believe in religious freedom. Yes, all. the great believers yes, in okay. freedom of speech mm. generally and freedom of religion specifically. Will they help us in our quest to book a spot at the J? <laughs> I wouldn't hold my breath. <laughs> no. We'll see. We'll ask for help. Well, so when you have tea with Amanda Stoker mm. and Scones... She's cancelled us. Well, it wasn't merely a postponement. It wasn't a cancel. Well, we haven't it? made a new. They haven't agreed to a new date yet. So, uh-huh. so we haven't had that meeting. So, so there you go. Well, that's another thing to put on the agenda when you do. Indeed. So, you know, just on the religious discrimination bill, it's in two parts. The first part is that prohibition against discriminating against people because they're members of a religion, and that's fair enough. Like we don't have a problem with that aspect of the bill. But it really, isn't that already covered under discrimination law? In many states, it is. But why stop there? I mean, if why stop with religion? Because if you are discriminated because you just happen to be a member of a group, it doesn't matter what the group is. You shouldn't be discriminated against. And I give the example of say a communist party. Like if you are a member of the communist party, you shouldn't be discriminated against. Mm. So. You know, why not have a law that says just because you're a member of a group, you should not be discriminated for being a member of a group and and leave it at that. So there's nothing special about religion. It's just an ideological belief, the same as things like communism are. So it's not an inherent characteristic like uh, disability, gender, uh, sexual preference, things like that. It's actually a matter of choice as to what ideology you adopt. So, So my view is... Just have a discrimination bill that refers to membership of any group. But the problem with the religious discrimination bill is it says it's terrible. We shouldn't allow people to be discriminated against. And then in the second part, it sets up the ability for institutions (laughs) to discriminate against people. How can you, on the one hand, say it's bad to discriminate and then set up the apparatus that allows institutions Mm. to discriminate against people? And also, I thought religion was a personal thing Mm. and institutions don't have beliefs and don't have feelings yeah Yeah. and therefore why are we protecting institutions in their right to be mean to people Mm. rather than people from their protecting people from institutions yeah a corporation isn't a person until texas executes one well exactly yeah so it's at the distinction so That's the Religious Discrimination Bill, and the more I get involved with the Noose Temple of Satan, the more I think the first part might be necessary, but definitely not the second part, because that just empowers 
whoever happens to have control of the institutions. Yes. And in the modern Australian context, that is largely Christian groups who mm. can then decide to discriminate against anyone who's non-Christian, crazy as that is. So No, no, you got it wrong. The Christians are discriminated against because they can't, they can't espouse their faiths in public. Yes, yes. Well, they are. They were in Brisbane City. Mm. I was walking past them on Saturday. Were you? In the mall? Yeah. Are they yeah. still in the mall on yeah. a Saturday night? Saturday morning. Was it? All right. Yes, yeah. but, but people won't mm. stop and listen to them. Right. They're being discriminated against. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's the news there, and and in the week and all the days to come, we'll describe what we're thinking of in response to that. And I think we could make a positive out of a negative Mm. if we use our imagination. So there's that. And then we got uh, some of our uh, right to information documents, and that was interesting because, uh, number one, it showed a a satanic panic going on in the education department uh, and the amount of correspondence that went on dealing with our humble application to teach a little bit of religion and an acknowledgement that what they've done is their practice in the department previously when obscure religions have applied is to just look up the Australian Bureau of Statistics data and see if the religion is listed there in the uh, list of categories of religions and mm. and an acknowledgement in these right to information documents that they looked it up and found Satanism in there and went, whoops, <laughs> <laughs> what do we do now? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> so, so that was interesting and more to come on that score. Hearing date is still set for the 12th of August. That's pretty much locked in stone now. So, so that's that. So... So, yeah, there we go. That's the update on, on satanic stuff. Oh, one other thing. Robin started a petition for asking that the federal parliament cease the practice of starting sessions with the Lord's Prayer. So there's a petition there and a link to it in the show notes. Go on and 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 hopefully say that you agree with the petition. So, all right, enough of that sort of stuff. Nothing, let me see. Hello's in the chat room. Thank you to Don and Bronwyn and Don again, who's in there. Right. Look, I go on about we really shouldn't have billionaires. And we've reached the point countries are no longer involved in a space race. We've got billionaires. Mm-hmm. Shay, got any thoughts on a billionaire I space do, race? Actually. <laughs> Yeah, so I just have to open it up just so I can quote this. But mm. our mate Richard Branson used to be sort of the pinup boy for how to appropriately, you know, take care of your staff. Right. Right. Mm. So certain quotes such as clients do not come first, employees come first, mm. train people well enough so they can leave, treat them well enough so they don't want to. Mm-hmm. And if you look after your staff, they'll look after your customers. Mm. And then took a trip to space after scolding the Australian government for not doing more for Virgin Australian employees, basically hid when this mm. COVID stuff happened. Like, I, I don't, I'm speechless, I'm so angry. Right. Like, I thought maybe billionaires were tone deaf, but I didn't realise they just don't care. Like, they don't care at all. Mm. It's funny how people who operate airlines and travel agencies think that- End up in space. Think, well, or end up thinking that lockdowns are a bad idea and we should open up as quickly as possible. <laughs> yes. just, just funny that it happens to match their own personal interests. That's right. 
right. Yeah, yeah. Screw Turn ahead of Flight Centre is uh, very vocal on mm. on opening up again as quickly as possible. Yes. Yeah. So just, yes, just strange how it's a coincidence that happens to coincide with their own best interests. So, well, you... Uh, Sorry, you want to say something? I just, yep. it's 250000 to 500000 They haven't set a price tag for the seats. Mm. And Richard Branson's statement was that space belongs to us all. And in responding to the criticism said, you know, that we're just not educated enough to understand what this will make available for humankind. Right. Yes. So it's pretty hard to stomach all it, of that it, garbage. It, it, it's just a sign these people have got way too much money if they're conducting a space race and not America and Russia and China. Yeah. It's actually billionaires who are doing it. It's a strange It's almost as situation. if they're building railroads across America. <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> so if you've got a problem with that, well, speaking of petitions, I mentioned Robbins earlier, there's a petition out which is, do not allow Jeff Bezos to return to Earth. <laughs> Billionaires should not exist on Earth or in space. Should you decide the latter, they should stay there. And there's a link to a petition. And at the time I looked at that, uh, 159,038 people had, had signed it. So there's another petition for you to sign. Okay. Voluntary sister dying in Queensland. Actually, my friend Peter has been battling this cancer for 18 months. And he is a good example where... Despite all the best medical attention in the world, in a modern Australian context, he had periods where he was in intense pain. Mm. And really, it's tricky because you want to stay lucid, but then the pain can come in waves and build up and it can just be horrendous. And it's just not easy to control pain, even with all the best resources that we have here. And right at the end, I saw him two days before he died and he was just like, he was really thin and ill. Mm. And he said that he would not have wanted to end his life with some injection, but he would have liked to have had the option there as a comforting thing. He would have found it very comforting to have that there. So he didn't want to use it, but it would have been just nice to have it there. So, and that's what... It's overwhelmingly a common uh, thing that you hear about people with voluntary assisted dying. It's the comfort of knowing that if it gets really bad, you've, you can pull the trigger, so to speak. So I had cause to ring Deep Throat, and he was just coming back from the parliament where he'd been in some committee hearings and answering questions from parliamentarians. And the next day, there was more sort of hearings going on and the Greens member, Michael Berkman, he managed to, well, that the Cherish for Life people were there sort of to be interrogated about their thoughts and beliefs. Mm. And so this is Michael Berkman, Greens candidate, talking to Ms Johnson from Cherish, what do they call Cherish Life? So Berkman says... Your contention, if I have read this correctly, is that Cherish Life would not publish anything that you did not feel was absolutely backed up by the evidence and the facts and the circumstances. And she replied, Indeed, I am surprised you have to ask this question, but yes. And he said, I'm interested because I have here an email that I have received from you and I do want to quote it because I feel as though it is important in terms of framing the credibility of certain statements and evidence. It's dated 23rd of January this year. I'll read it out so we have the full context. It says... 
While the debate on whether the US election was stolen is outside the scope of Cherish life, it is probably fair to suppose that people who are complicit and happy to fund the killing of innocent unborn human beings think nothing of stealing and lying. In our humble opinion, it is likely the Democrats did steal the election. She interrupts and says, can I ask what on earth this has to do with this? He says, well, I'm interested in testing your suggestion that you would not publish anything that you did not think was supported by evidence. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shot her down in flames, I reckon. You're here telling us we should believe everything you say and this is the sort of stuff that you publish? Yes. Yeah. So, so that was interesting and then it was sort of ruled out of order and blah, 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 but, uh, but that was it. So... Right, if you're in, see, we're in Queensland. Aren't we lucky up here in terms of lockdowns? We, Very. Um, Sorry, are you rubbing it in? <laughs> well, no, <laughs> trying not, not to, but it's hard <laughs> not to be smug. Well, no, I don't know. I just don't get how we have evaded. Like I thought for sure when those people were at Magnetic Island or wherever they were and there was the Delta virus. and A medical assistant. Yeah, I just. Clinical assistant. It just hasn't really ever Little embers that could have burst into major fires have just petered out largely. Touch wood mm. so far um, in Queensland. I have some ideas about that. I was going to say, I thought Sydney, they were a little more dismissive. In general, I think people up here have been relatively responsible and the stories of the footballers partying as Sydney went into lockdown another similar. So you think we've been more responsible in Queensland than those I, I find it people. hard to believe, but... It seems that there hasn't been the level of I'm young, it's not going to happen to me up here. Mm. Well, maybe it's just we have an older population. It's, it's a, Do we? I, we ha- I think we have less people. Isn't mm. that the main thing? We have a lower I, density of population, mm. so we're not all tacked in together. And then, I, but I think you are onto something because I've been asking other people as well, like, are Queenslanders more complicit? Well, I'm, I'm just more, wondering. More compliant. <laughs> compliant, sorry. More compliant. That we did seem no, to just I'm, respond. I'm sure we... the, the Prince Charles clerical was Delta. Yeah. Roman uh, in the chat room says, I don't think Brisbane had a Delta outbreak. We actually did have a yeah, small Yeah, it was Delta definitely outbreak. Delta. I, I'm just mm. wondering because from what I've seen, you go to Sydney and Melbourne to spend your early 20s and then you settle down in Brisbane. Right. <laughs> Maybe. And have a family and just stay at home. And have with, a family with, and stay at home. With, and... with your dog and your barbecue. <laughs> I, so I actually, actually, maybe. It's more of an outdoors lifestyle. Like we do yeah. entertain maybe. on a patio or a deck outdoors quite mm. often. And certainly friends of mine from Melbourne when they were in Cairns said just a lot of stuff is just more outdoorsy. Mm. But I still think I just find it amazing. I said to my brother who's in Sydney, when it all happened with the lockdown, I said, "Don't worry, you'll you'll be relying on the community spirit and goodwill of the people of Sydney. You'll be fine." <laughs> <laughs> At that point, he started crying. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, Don in the chat room, the link to the petition will be in the show notes. But maybe Joe will manage to get it up there. I'll, anyway. I'll see if I can dig it out. See if you can put it there. So, you know. All, uh, well, there's a quote here from Gladys Berejiklian from probably from a couple of months ago, where she said, I feel for Victoria and I wonder about what their government may do. I hope we have demonstrated to other states it is possible to manage an outbreak and not shut down a city. That's a quote attributed to Gladys. That was just playing with fire. Like, did you really, did she honestly believe that? Maybe she did. I think she must have. Because 
You didn't have to be but Einstein to think it's fair, luck. It was a fair bet because if all mm. other states shut their borders to you, then mm. frankly, you know, you, you're already having your risk mitigated anyway. So she right. she probably could afford to be a bit cocky, but mm. it hasn't worked out well for her. Mm. So I, maybe I subscribe to Sky News on Facebook or maybe I just watch it too much. But when these press conferences come up with the state premiers announcing their numbers and whatever, I tend to watch it on Sky News and boy, is that scary in the comment section in Sky News. Now, probably a lot of them are actually not Australian. Like, there's a, they get a lot of uh, international mm. American audience there now. But it's just cesspit in there of people going off about how they're not going to comply and it's all a bad idea, these lockdowns, complete nonsense and freedom. I want my freedom. Mm. It's really – It's if, alarming. If, yeah. Yeah. If you look at a Sky News uh, live stream of one of these premieres announcements, mm. it's scary to think these people are not going to comply. So no. I don't know how you, New South you Wales – You saw the Big Brother or whatever it was, woman from the UK? Yes. She, she's been put on a plane or will be very shortly put on a plane? Yeah, she's on a plane, yeah. She's an alleged racist – lady from Great Britain, like yeah. presumably a fairly, by all accounts, a pretty awful person. Mm. By all accounts, a Sky News watcher. Right. And she was anti-lockdown, mm-hmm. but she was she came over here to, to be a big, big brother. brother, to be locked down. <laughs> and but- her, her protest was to, <laughs> when food's delivered, you normally wait 30 seconds for the deliverer to move away from the doorway and... Mm. She tweeted that she, to have fun, she would open the door while they were there, while naked, mm-hmm. and with no mask, or maybe with a mask, I'm not sure. But no, it said no mask. Right. And I think that was the straw that broke the camel's back very quickly. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Interesting. She got really bounced back pretty quick. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. So what I- we're... I'm not finding a petition. In the show notes, Robin's petition to repress, and let me see if I can do it. I'll copy and paste this. Okay. Let me see if I can do it. Was it Queensland or was it Brisbane? There we go. I've managed to do it, Joe. Okay. So, now, where was I? Back to lockdown. So, the other thing is, like, the media and the Murdoch media were relentless against Dan Andrews mm-hmm. and how Gladys had the gold standard mm-hmm. and isn't she good and why can't the others be like her? That's right. And then when she had to go into lockdown, a lot of them have just gone soft on her mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of the people who previously had tweeted how good she was for not needing a lockdown, this journalist... Like deleting their tweets. Yes. Because how pathetic. Mm-hmm. You've got a dozen tweets that you now haven't stood the test of time, so now you just delete them, mm. drawing attention to the fact that That's your right. thoughts don't stand the test of time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. Did I see the article about Bruce Pascoe joining with a brewery to make a beer depicting, depicting a sacred Indigenous story? Yes, I did. And, yes, poor form by Bruce Pascoe if you were an Indigenous advocate to be using notoriety to create a beer company. Mm. Yeah, not good form. Yeah. So, okay, 
that was that and that. Uh, Joe, you gave me a link to covidfaq.co. So, dear listener, there'll be a link in the show notes. But if you've got somebody who is making claims like COVID's only a problem for the elderly, it's not as it's only as deadly as the flu. Uh, a lot of cases are false positives. There are no excess deaths. People are dying with COVID, but not of COVID. Lockdowns cause more deaths than they prevent. Cases were falling anyway. Lockdowns don't work. The Great Barrington Declaration gives a good alternative to lockdown. Masks are dangerous. A Danish study shows masks don't work. Vaccines were rushed and might be unsafe. If you hear that sort of claim and you're looking for an counter-argument, you can click on these links in the covidfaq.co and it isn't that they just say, well, in our opinion, that's wrong. They actually then link to authoritative things and you can make up your own mind whether one authority beats the other authority. So quite a good site, Joe. That's good. I wish you'd given that to me six months ago. I didn't have it six months ago. It's only just been set up. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. You're off the hook. Yeah. And also just some of the characters who are big in the sceptical world. It just gives a little bio of who they are and the mistakes they've openly made along the way. People like Ivor Cummins and Peter Hitchens and Toby Young and Sunetra Gupta and people like that. So just a good summary if you're talking to somebody about this and looking for some facts and figures. And the sceptic groups mm. would say they're not sceptics, they're denialists. Uh, right. Okay. Yes. Because scepticism suggests that you will change your mind with evidence. Yes. Good point. Mm -hmm. Skeptics is a bit uh, complimentary to them. Yes. yes. Yeah. And is this the answer to when people say to you, do your own research, just post that link every time? Possibly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, because one of the things about, it's the thing about COVID I find is that there were experts with good qualifications you know, epidemiologists and whatnot, who came out with things that just plain crackers. And you just think, why? And it's sort of not really clear why, for example, with some of these people, but they do make the case as to how these people have got some things completely wrong, like with looking back 18 months ago at what they said, that has turned out to be completely and utterly wrong on the facts. So... It sort of blows them out of the water. There have been uh, a couple of studies, and they talk about the disinformation dozen mm. of the 12 biggest. So something like 75 to 80% of mm. all anti-vax information comes from these people. Mm. It gets retweeted or reposted on Facebook, shared on Facebook, and they are the usual suspects, and they're all making big business in supplements and in advertising revenue. Mm. Mm. So... Um, oh, okay. Some so of them, or all of them, or you say they've so, all got a financial benefit from so, denying. So certainly, the the ringleaders have mm. a financial benefit, right? That doesn't mean the people posting it and sharing it have a financial interest, right? But certainly, the disinformation is coming from people who have financial interests, right? Okay, yep. Mm. Now, just before before I started the show, I came across Essential Report. I didn't have enough time to put it in the notes for you, Joe. But Essential Report was looking at vaccinations and and so it was the 19th of July. Once a vaccine becomes available, this is to Australians, how long would you wait before taking it? And 63% said they'd get it as soon as possible or I've already got it. 
27% said, I'll get vaccinated, but not straight away. And 11% said, I'll never get vaccinated. And that 11% is sort of down on recent figures. So that's a good sign. But when you look at the age group breakdown, if you look at the 18 to 34, the I'll never get vaccinated category in 18 to 34 is 15%. Shay, on behalf of the 18 to 34 <laughs> age group, what's going on there? We'll live. Yeah. We will live. Yes. It's a matter That's of a risk assessment think. and thinking it's not going That's as good right. our chances are. Yes. And yep. some of this vaccination stuff has cut through. Mm. And I don't know. Mm. If you were 18 to 34, would you mm. think, well, maybe we don't know everything about this vaccine yet. Maybe I can wait. Mm. I yeah. guess I'll So when survive. we're talking about herd immunity and how many people are we going to – well, not herd immunity, but – how many people we need to have vaccinated in the community before we eventually open up? What what figure have you got in your mind? What are you thinking? If if there was if the statistics showed seventy percent of Australians were fully vaccinated, at that point, when there's an outbreak, do we stop lockdowns? What what figure do you think? Well, I know that Dr. Norman Swan reckons like seventy to eighty, mm. but there's what. 10% of the population who can't be vaccinated and then right. there's a fair few who won't get vaccinated. Mm. So I'm not prepared to wait 10 years mm. for everybody else to get vaccinated. Mm. So I don't know. That's There's a lot of stuff we've got to do first before we can even get a target, which is a better educational campaign, mm. having more conversations with our GP, getting some Pfizer. And then telling Australia we have the Pfizer yeah. so we can go to the hospital and get it and, and then have enough. a look there and then, and then we can look from there. I just can't see how we could set a target yeah. to open up yet. So the, the problem is the people who won't take the vaccines tend to cluster and so there will be outbreaks mm -hmm. that will spread through a community of people who won't take the vaccine, such as northern New South Wales, northern Rivers area. And the problem is there's a risk it will overload local hospitals. And, and that's what will happen in... It's not going to spread through the community in general, but as we've seen with the measles vaccination. And measles is similarly infectious, but for herd immunity, I think it's somewhere around the 90% you need vaccinated. Okay. But say I've got in my mind 70%. What do you, what do you reckon of 70%? If I, they said we're not going to do any more lockdowns once we've reached 70%, I, for the I, outbreaks that we're currently experiencing in Australia at the moment. I, I think we're best off to see what happens in the UK because they've opened mm. up at 50%. There will certainly be a surge in cases. Mm. The question is how bad it will be and how much of an impact that has to the community in whole. Mm. Good idea. We can just watch what happens to the others. That's yeah. one of our fortunate things is we're so far behind. <laughs> this is the plan. evil plan. This, there's the plan for Morrison. If he's smart enough, he will say, this is all part of my master plan that we would sit and wait and watch so we could gather the data from other countries. Yeah before deciding to move. So actually being slow and behind mm. was part of the master plan. That mm -hmm. could be, yeah. But you mentioned something before about we should be having conversations with our doctors. Yeah. So I just find if you've got no health issues and you're perfectly normal, mm. I think it's a little bit odd for 
everyone to go and have a personal conversation with their doctor in that circumstance. I reckon the government should have said, if you've got no... Underlying health conditions? Yes, at all. If you're just perfectly normal, Mm. then here is the advice your doctor should be giving you. Because surely... We've got to be a little bit efficient about this. Mm. And that's but, exactly what ATAGI did. Yeah. And so, and? The, the advice was a Pfizer, not AstraZeneca. Yeah. So if that's the advice, I just think it should be a national, put it on a website. If you are aged 30, if you're age 40, age 50, and if you have no underlying conditions, this is the advice that any GP will should be giving you. And I just think it's sort of unnecessary that every healthy person trots along to a GP. I know that Rachel did it, for example. She mm. had the conversation with her GP, but it just seems a sort of, a, uh, to me, a little bit inefficient that we can't have mm. a statement about what healthy people should do and sending people off for an individual consultation mm. To me, just doesn't make sense, but mm. it should be a stock standard. I think standard it does reply. in the background of all this other noise. We've never been, like I often can mm. like think back to when I had the Gardasil vaccine. Mm. So I was 15 years old and that's what you get, obviously not a GP, mm-hmm. for HPV. So they vaccinate you against that, right? And that was simple, right? So I went and had my vaccine. Obviously I was, yeah, 15 or 16. So I just remember it being like really smooth and just obvious but that just hasn't been the case this time. So now, not to mention all the social media, all of the bombardment of information and do your own research and even people who are saying do your own research wouldn't even know how to read some of these reports. Mm. So I think that's kind of where, where that's what we're left with is that people have to go and talk to their GP and then get the, that, and the, then get the vaccine. The problem is the AstraZeneca, which is the one that we have lots of doses of, does have a known, if rare, side effect. Mm. And if COVID isn't in the population, then for young and healthy people, it's not in their best interest to get vaccinated. The risk is slightly higher for the vaccine. But the second you get a major spread of COVID, those figures shift dramatically, and that's the problem. It is. It's literally a personal decision. And it's how do you adequately convey that information in a way that can't be skewed by the anti-vaxxers. And it really does take the time to sit down with a GP that they explain it to you in a way that you understand. Can a GP in a consultation describe the probabilities and statistics of, well, if the outbreak reaches this level, then suddenly... The calculation changes, and now at your age, you then fall into the recommended to take it thing. Like, I just don't think a GP can do that. Mm. True. Um, and if a GP could, he'd probably be reading off or she right. reading yeah, off a know. website and saying, well, possibly, in your yes. situation, cross reference age, current infection rate, mm. yes or no. Like, to and, me. And, and Tell that- me this, when you went and had your vaccination afterwards, did they say to you, well, I know you had Pfizer, so maybe mm. it doesn't count, but did they say to you, if you start experiencing yes. such and such a thing, come back and see us? Sure. So yes. what were the types of symptoms, back pain, or were they were they seemingly? Oh, look, they said it verbally, but they also give you a form with a yeah. whole list of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but I, were I, they the types of symptoms like that you would, would maybe not consider problematic, even if you'd just been vaccinated? So, like, no, I feel a bit headachy, but I don't think I'm blood clotting, you know, like. 
Because the, the counteroffer mm. would be, instead of going to your GP, couldn't we release the information of the types of symptoms you might experience if your blood is clotting? Mm. And that would be when you would come and see the GP once you've had the vaccine? Uh, would that be a better well, way to do it? No, that's giving advice after the event. Like it, because you might have got the, the vaccine and they might have said, oh, in your situation, you probably shouldn't have had this. <laughs> Oops, <laughs> too late. <laughs> mm. But you can be treated. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. you get the clotting you and you get back, you get back you to make it to hospital in time. Exactly. And yeah. how much time have you got? Well, depends where the clot is. <laughs> like, seriously, depends where it is. Yeah. But so, yeah. It goes to your brain and you get a clot in your Definitely, brain. Yeah. So, anyway, I, I just sort of had a thing about this getting individual advice from a doctor. If you are perfectly healthy, I just thought that seemed over the top that there should be a more centralized information distribution. Possibly a helpline that you could call. Mm. But the problem is, who would you staff it with? Like Statisticians. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> a statistician's necessary. Not personal trainers, anyway. Maybe better than a doctor in this case. <laughs> well, maybe. It seems to be a matter of statistics and probability, it seems, mm. doesn't it? Right. Was the speed of the New South Wales lockdown fast enough? There's some stuff here from Essential. And 44% said, yeah, about the right speed. 44% said it was a bit slow and 12% said it was too fast. <laughs> the speed of the New South Wales lockdown. Interestingly... Was it quicker than she got rid of the boyfriend that was on the take? Right. Interesting, on a state basis, if you're in a state other than New South Wales, you're more likely to say that it was too slow. The people in New South Wales were more likely to say it was about right. So, mm. so yeah, so that was interesting. And that was about all from the essential report. So... That was that one. Let me just get that up so I can see that. And right. I was going to poke some fun at Scott Morrison and the Engadine McDonald's. But, Joe, you and I both suffer Crohn's disease. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what happened to Scott Morrison in the Engadine McDonald's. But when you've got a <laughs> bowel problem. You have a lot of empathy for people who shit their pants. Indeed. Yeah. You can be a lot closer to that event than you'd like to be. So I, I'll, I'll stay clear of that one because who knows what I, happens. I have to, said to friends yeah. who've made fun of that, but mm. frankly, there are plenty of other things we can rip into him for and I'd rather we did that. Yes, that's my thoughts as well. So we'll go easy on Scott Morrison on that one because do you carry a card with you? No. I remember I, I was often, or when I first was diagnosed, to have a card so that if you were somewhere and you needed to get to the toilet urgently and, like, jump a queue, you could show it to people and say, I've got this, like, mm. let me in, I need to go. So You can also um, get radar keys. I don't right. know if they're called radar over here. Right. Disable toilets. The, okay. in, in a lot of places, toilets are locked because of vandalism. Right. But if you're disabled, you can get a key and you get access to these toilets. Oh, a special skeleton key that works. Basically. Okay. Hmm. So. I don't know anything about so, so, okay, that was that. Right, deaths and suicides. So a lot of talk about the fact that there's an argument that suicides will increase or have increased due to the lockdown because of the mental health issues involved. And so when people say, well, the problem with the lockdowns is it's, it's causing increased... Suicides, 
And I've got an article here which comes from The Conversation and a professor of economics, Richard Holden, and he's also president-elect of the Academy of Social Sciences in Australia. And there's a chart here where normally suicide statistics are quite slow to come out, but a lot of that's been accelerated because of the interest in it. And due to interest in deaths due to the pandemic, the Bureau of Statistics has been publishing monthly provisional mortality statistics based on doctor-certified deaths. And they show that Australia has slightly fewer non-COVID-related deaths in 2020 than normally the case. And there's a nice chart there showing basically how that's the case. And so just generally, the death rate is slightly lower for non-COVID deaths. And in terms of suicides, there's evidence from insurance companies to show that there's no increase in suicides. In fact, the opposite, there's a decrease, mind you, those companies are saying that they've well well why is that the case and the theory is that there's actually a sense of community when you're facing adversity and we're all in this together and people actually aren't as lonely they feel a sense of togetherness in a mm. crisis mm. I, I know that my work is definitely but certainly early on was very keen that we had daily check-ins as a team mm -hmm. to make sure that everyone was adjusting to the new normal. And I think that many other companies were it's similar. Uh, mm -hmm. And there was, a, there was a lot of sense of checking in with friends and family. So although people are going through a hard time, there has been a lot of talking to people that you wouldn't necessarily talk to. Mm. So this report says, so far, no evidence of increased suicides or increased deaths, but... Uh, a bit of a caveat, you never know, it might turn around and there might be an increase because of people failing to go to the doctors or other things occurring in the future, but at the current rate, it's actually less. So in terms of the evidence to hand so far, mm. it's not an argument against lockdowns to say that there's an increase in suicides. In fact, we, it's the opposite. We've had very little, apart from Melbourne, we've had very little lockdown in Australia, mm. comparatively. Mm. Mm. Compared to, you know, the UK, I don't know about the US, mm. but the UK were in huge lockdowns. Mm. And have you seen how they're faring? In terms of that COVID that? FAQ site yep. said it was out. no increased mm. suicides okay. in the UK. Okay. Yeah. 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 Mm. Okay. As we mentioned before, don't worry though, because we've got the military now in charge of the vaccine rollout. And according to the shovel, the army is to draw on Iraq, Afghanistan experience and expects to have the vaccine rollout complete in 19 years. So we can expect them to go at, in at hard. At which point they give up and go home. <laughs> <laughs> so we can expect them to go in hard, immediately shake things up and then quietly withdraw from the program in 19 or 20 years' time when they realise it's not possible to complete. That's it, Joe. The PM said using the military was the obvious choice. Why get a health service to manage a health crisis when we've got men in uniform with shiny medals? What we have found time and time again is the military are much more effective when it comes to media photo opportunities. Okay. Scotty likes a man in a uniform. Yes. Yep. The guy in charge does have a very smartly pressed uniform. He mm. is, It's very sharp, I, very... I'm, I'm sure his Batman does a wonderful job. That's right. These guys have permanent employees just to mm. look after their gear. Yeah. It's quite a life. Just in terms of the economy, there's an article here from The Conversation. 47 leading Australian economists were selected by the Economic Society of Australia and asked whether they agreed, disagreed or strongly agreed or strongly disagreed with this proposition. The benefits to Australian society of maintaining social distancing measures sufficient to keep the 
R rate, that's the rate of, inf uh, of infection, less than one, are likely to exceed the costs. Basically, the benefits of lockdowns and social distancing exceed the cost of those efforts. And of the 47 leading or economists they picked, 48.9 strongly agree, 23.4 agree, 8.5 uncertain, and only nine of them, that was 8.5%, sorry, and only less than 20% either disagree or strongly agree. So a majority of Economists say lockdowns are a good idea, and then there's a link to an open letter. Basically, again, by a bunch of academic professors, there's 288 of them who say that lockdowns are essentially a good idea. They've signed their names. They're actual professors and academics in economics. And I just cannot find any list that has a similar number of qualified people saying Something similar. The problem with the Great Barrington Declaration is all sorts of people signed that. Didn't know who they were. Mm. Didn't Mickey Mouse sign it? I think maybe, yeah. So, so that's all that. Right, there's a link there. Watley's in the chat room. Good on you, Watley. For, he sent a link to a song called Opposite Day. It mentions Satan at the end. Check that out. It's a nice little song I would recommend to you. And in the uh, Isn't That Crazy, Isn't That Weird section... Did you read about the electrician in Queensland who admitted to removing the genitals of two men at their request? No. Joe, how'd you miss that? I don't know. <laughs> so, so he's an electrician. He removed the genitalia of the two men at their request, kept some body parts in his home freezer following the amateur surgical procedures. So he was sought out by the men after he advertised castration services, mm. although his only medical qualification was an advanced first aid certificate. This was all heard in the Brisbane court. So the 20-year-old, 28-year-old offered the services through a eunuch website. It's a website for everything, Joe. <laughs> Rule 34. The two men wanted the surgery. It wasn't available to them in any lawful way, the court was told. So... One of the men said the procedure benefited his health and well-being as he'd suffered from genitalia dysphoria. And he said he was eternally grateful to Ryan for enabling me to enjoy life. The 65-year-old said he wasn't paid, but he filmed one procedure with the man's consent. It took place in a motel in Logan home when he removed the 65-year-old man's testicle. They'd previously met the previous year when King removed his penis and other testicle. But that procedure was performed in Victoria, so he's not the subject of charges in Queensland. And uh, anyway, one of the men flushed the testicle down the toilet so it couldn't be retrieved and reattached. And then they basically then went to hospital to get fixed up once they were past the point of no return. So thinking back to, like, that's just a weird story. In a previous episode a few weeks ago, I was talking about moral quandaries. Should we allow this sort of thing to happen in our community? Should we possibly prevent it? Or certainly we wouldn't encourage it. But they, if you look they, at They were both consenting. Okay. So the libertarian argument would say that if people are free to do whatever they might want to do. And I would assume that the operee was well aware of the non-medical qualifications Indeed, they of, knew he of just, his surgeon. 
other than his medical certificate and his electrical electrician's license, it you, seems you to be the sum total of his qualifications. Electrocauterization. <laughs> he could have. So a limit. So just in terms of when you're looking at, like this is a really weird case, but I'm just mm. pointing it out because I thought it was a good illustration when we were thinking of how do we address these things. And the other week I was talking about libertarian, utilitarian, and Aristotelian. And so mm. the libertarian approach would be well, consenting adults doesn't harm anybody else. They can just do whatever they like. Well, well, it did harm because they had to go to hospital for someone right. else to right. fix it up. Yes. And that might have harmed who? Oh, so the that takes resources away from possibly people who okay. hadn't self-inflicted injuries. Okay. What if they paid for it? And so that's, you know, the resources are covered? Possibly. Right. Doesn't sound yeah. like a surgeon was on hand. And let's face it. I suspect that the nurses and the doctors just went, holy smokes, this is weird, but okay, I'll stitch you up. Like, It's hard well, to imagine they had a, a, a tr- an ongoing trauma from a, the medical people. It would have been just like... Oh, no, no, I don't no, think... Yeah. It, it was a case of they were traumatised by it, but mm. there was a case in Germany, I think, of somebody who killed Annette's victims. Yes, and then wanted to be eaten. Yes. Yes, yeah. So there are limits, I think... Well, so that's the libertarian argument would say... Go ahead and do it. The utilitarian argument would say, well, what have we increased human flourishing <laughs> or human happiness? Possibly. And the utilitarian argument would be, yes, we have, because we've got three happy people here. We've got two people who wanted to be castrated and one man who wanted to do castration. So they were actually all... The sum total of happiness in the human population was probably greater at the end of the procedure mm-hmm. than prior to it. Mm. But... If we take the Aristotelian approach, where we just say, well, is this really the sort of thing that we want in our society for well, our citizens to be doing as a... Is this stuff we want to encourage? Judgment? Well, yes. This is all moral judgment, indeed. And the Aristotelian one would be, you know, you sort of you, you look at something and you just know whether it is good or bad, or you try and work out whether this is what we want our society to be doing, you know. Do we want dog fights uh, happening, or do we say, you know what, that's objectionable and leads to other things. So, And these I, people sought out, like, other guy. methods first, didn't they? Oh, I see. I think it's uh, they, the weren't allowed, they couldn't get it done they legally. Yeah. Like, no, yeah. no yeah. registered doctor would So as would far as society is concerned, we're um, like, Br- Bronwyn nah. is saying, anyway. how do we yeah. know that the people were not mentally ill? How do we know that they were truly consenting? Yes, in, indeed. That is one of the problems. Mm. Yeah. And that's one of the... Aristotelian reasons would be to say, if we allow this, it's going to be really hard to judge whether people are actually giving proper consent or not. Mm. So anyway, I just thought it was a useful example of trying to look at moral quandaries. Mm. If you looked at this case, and it's good dinner party conversation start. The whole trans issue mm. where a lot of people would say, uh, they were suffering a similar tra- uh, dysphoria to trans people. Mm. Mm. And, and other than it was unlicensed surgery, you know, mm. you look at it and go, who, on the, who in their right mind would want their genitals removed? Mm. Well, trans people do. Yes. So I, I think... But in that situation, we make them go through the hoops and... Mm. Oh, and, I, and, I agree. Yeah. In this situation, these people seem to have gone through the hoops... Well, but were rejected. Yeah, it's not clear, but 
Yeah. And so the question is, have they been been let down by the the system? It doesn't sound like they were wanting gender reassignment in any way. It was just that they had a genitalia dysphoria. dysphoria, So, which is a presumably legitimate condition. So, anyway, I don't think we want backyard surgeons operating. This is... No. As a society, not good. Uh, so the question is, uh, is this a harm reduction mm. where people who really do have a genitalia dysphoria are able to approach a surgeon and have it done properly under medical conditions? I reckon they could. Mm. It was approved. So, mm. you know, is is your is your way out of this moral quandary to legalise it as long as you're a trained surgeon. And Mm. the person has had proper psychological assessment Mm. and counselling and and truly does want this. Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard of people having uh, elective surgery Mm. to remove limbs or wanting elective surgery to remove limbs and the whole surgeon saying there's nothing wrong with this limb... it's against my conscience to remove it. And that's fair enough. But this person wanting it done. And so do you allow it to happen or do you say, no, the state is going to intervene in your better good? Well, I think we intervene unless they really presented some really compelling psychological evidence of of the unhappiness of their life. And more than one psychiatrist says, yep, it seems pretty clear this arm's got to come off for this person to be happy. I mean, it's possible. But you just want to be really, really, really and, sure. And again, further down that one is mm. disabled people who have been offered the chance of some form of reparative surgery. You know, they've grown mm. up, for instance, deaf, mm. and that is their identity. Wrong. And suddenly they're offered an operation to fix that, and they're saying, no, deaf is who I am. I don't want you to fix me. I'm not broken. This is how I am. Mm. Well, that's pretty clear. Mm. But so it's the state is intervening. Yeah. Well, I don't think the state would ever intervene and say you have to have your hearing fixed, would they? No, but this Mm. person is saying because there's a difference between inaction and action. Big, big difference. Right. Yeah. I think we can distinguish those two examples pretty quickly on that basis. But certainly there is a question around. This, the, it point, it's, it's a good example of how there's some Gray? Odd, odd thoughts that people might have. And yes. it's not necessarily that odd if you actually do identify as a deaf person and yeah, mm. I can see that. Mm. Okay, just briefly, how are we going for time? So, Paul, we often talked about the drum and I made the admission that I thought the drum was very left-wing in its panellists. Mm. And... And so in my conversations with Paul, I would sort of concede, yeah, of course the drum is left-wing. But actually there's an article here from the John Menadue blog where this guy does a study of the panellists on the drum and it turns out if you actually look at the figures, it's had more right-wingers than left-wingers. So leave that to other people to evaluate. but Considerably more. Yeah. Mm. So, so, yeah, really surprising that actually the drum has a right-wing bias rather than a left-wing bias. So there's that. Um, Shay, you might have some thoughts. There's going to be sexual harassment training at mm. Parliament House and 
I think it's it goes optional. and it for about an hour. Yes. <laughs> Does that look like enough to you? An hour optional? No. Mm. Yeah. That's not real though. That's a that's a joke. Yeah, well it? there's a joke yeah, yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll get sued because it's got the government logo on logo it. On it. Yeah. Uh, unless it's what was it? Genuine and obvious satire? You know. When we were out marching for justice, like that was you could really feel the rage. And right. it does feel kind of hopeless with all of the media, with all of the news, with all of the horrible stories. This is the best they could do. Yeah. So it's there's like, a, a joke article here, which is the, the rage. which is the, uh, the one hour sort of timetable or schedule and what's oh, involved. I had uh, it up. Right, from the sexual harassment training and 9am introductions, 9.05 icebreaker exercise. What's the best dumb blonde joke you've ever told? 9.10 plausible deniability. Who doesn't need to know and when don't they need to know it? 9.20 blame and how to spread it. Changing me too to them too. And why opposition philanderers are your new best friends. <laughs> it goes on. Read that in the notes if you're interested in that. Just on that quickly though, mm. as some of the work that I do in my spare time, I talk to young people at TAFEs about workplace health and safety. Mm-hmm. One of the things we cover is sexual harassment. I was just thinking about it today that I, got once, I was once cornered in the galley by a passenger and um, put his arms across like this, which is quite brazen on a little 737, mm. kind of like trapped me in there and then started making lewd remarks and like I could feel his breath. Another man mm. came and interrupted and sort of came to my aid and then I went to report it to my cabin manager and I said, oh, he cornered me in a galley and he put his arms across and he just kept saying, you have beautiful eyes, you have beautiful eyes. Mm. And my cabin manager looked at me and said, well, you do. <laughs> <laughs> How long ago was this? Two years ago. Yeah. And we did yearly, yearly training on the do's and the don'ts and the, you know, and then so then this passenger, as he was getting off the aeroplane, he was like, I thought he was just staring at my breasts, which was, Mm. you know, fine considering what he'd already attempted. But he was actually looking at my identity card. And so then he found me on Facebook and started sending me lewd messages there. So I had to contact security. And I had to contact my other manager. And when I contacted my other manager, my manager said, well, I don't know. It just kind of sounds like a flight attendant being hit on by a passenger. <laughs> my, my first so thought I, was- I, I went from reporting one man to like reporting like four men. <laughs> I just have to keep saying like, can you consider your response? And then like, let's try this again. I'm wow. fearful for my safety. I can get the legal, legal about unwanted advances out if you wish. Yeah. But I just thought I'd just share that from the perspective of it's certainly not enough training at Parliament House. And we did wow. plenty of training at Qantas about sexual harassment and it was still typically dealt with in a very casual manner. Wow. It's, it's a galley. There's hot things. Right. <laughs> I'm surprised. I, I'm surprised you didn't suffer burns. Yeah. I You... I, I can't explain it to you. I don't scare easy, but I froze. Yeah. I don't, I really, that uh, man hadn't come to my aid that in that moment. I don't know how much I would have allowed before I, my brain started to kick kick in. Wow. Yeah. That's the sort of story I'd expect from 
10 or 15 years ago. I just mm. wouldn't have – not that – it doesn't surprise me that that would happen in the sense of a guy doing that. But in terms but, of yes. the response from yes. your HR and all the rest. Yeah. I mean, wow. So anyway, we have some more work to do. Yeah. Mm. Bronwyn says, good grief, Shay. I agree <laughs> with you there. Good grief, Shay. That is a good grief moment. Yeah. Yeah. And anyway, it got handled. That HR manager got handled. It all got worked out in the end. And that passenger was banned from flying. So everybody gets to be safe. Right. Okay. Provided what airline Eventually. they fly on. Exactly. Right. So okay. you do have to hold your ground on some of these yeah. issues. Good on you. Mm. Wow. Wow. Mm. Okay. And just uh, in the chat room, that must have been from Jake who said, Sound of Metal, the movie is worth a watch. If you'd like to get some perspectives from deaf people. So mm. there's one tip from Jake. Thank you. Sorry, get rid of that. Okay. Yeah. And Alison says, bloody hell, show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. And any thoughts on the recent death of Peter DeVry? Just looking it up. Yeah. He's a Dutch journalist who investigated drug dealers, basically, in the Netherlands. Don't know anything about uh, him. And was... Tom. Murdered. Mm. Don't know about that one, Tom. So, okay, where are we? Let's get back on track here. Do you remember way back before a religious discrimination bill was even proposed, there was the Ruddock Inquiry. Yeah. And the report came out and it mentioned that private schools, private religious schools, can mm. sack teachers on religious grounds. And boot students and out. boot students out. Yeah. And at the time, the public said, what? How can this be allowed? And Scott Morrison said, it is existing law. And he, with the outrage that came, because the Ruddock Inquiry was saying, let's do all these things, and people were saying, well, let's not let them sack teachers because they're not religious or... S or strike I, kids I, out because they I, I thought teachers were fair game, but kids weren't, was the general consensus. Uh, I don't know. I, I think people thought both. Well, I, I thought the public thought both, but mm. I think the, the, the politicians said, no, no, we'll protect the kids, but not the teachers. Certainly in relation to the children, he said, we do not think that children should be discriminated against. And so it was a promise made amidst the significant backlash following the leaking of the religious discrimination review recommendations that's right because they'd had the review and then they sat on the recommendations for ages and because it said that there is no discrimination yes and so so he came out and said he committed to removing this special privilege before the end of 2018 and he did that to get out of a tricky political situation because i think there was a by-election coming up and He's never done anything about it. What a surprise. Yep. And here we are in 2021, still nothing. And even if he tried to do something, by the time it got through Parliament, basically any kid who was in a grade eight when he said it would have got all the way through grade 12 and the law will not change. So, yet another example of Scott Moran not coming through with what he said. But he's probably praying for them. Yes, <laughs> probably. Yep. Uh, we've pulled out of Afghanistan. There'll be lots of talk about how now Afghanistan is going to revert back into a disaster zone mm -hmm. because somehow in the last 19 years we've improved a lot of the average Afghani and 
think twice about that before you think that might be true. And I've just got a little graph and a link to a thing talking about opium production and how it's basically skyrocketed in the last 20 years of occupation by foreign forces. So I listened to a podcast interview of a one of the British forces translators mm. who said, look, this is a thousand-year-old tribal war and basically one side will come along and say to the Taliban, yes, yes, we believe you, give us arms and money. And the other side will then go to the alliance forces and say, yes, yes, we believe you, give us arms and money. Mm. And it's all about a tribal war that everyone else has just got sucked into funding. So with the departure of troops, there'll be a lot of talk about how, what a shame that the country is now going to slip back into rack and ruin after all the good work we've done. Honestly, just look at some stuff and some links here that I've got. So drug addiction has skyrocketed and, and the number of, in the last 20 years, the number of Afghans living in poverty rose from 9 million to 19 million and there's polls it basically that Afghans are the saddest people of earth with yeah the, the any way you want to sort of rate the lives of Afghans it hasn't been improving at all in the last 20 years it's and the poor country has been should just be left alone to fight out because an outsider is not going to fix Afghani problems and just mm. being there is actually making things worse so anyway when you read about how the place is falling into rack and ruin. Don't believe everything about how wonderful it has been improved in the last 20 years. And what about the ones who assisted us? Can they come to Australia? Yeah. Interpreters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, apparently even Johnny Howard is saying, yes, let them in. Mm. Not going to happen. What a crummy bunch we are. Like, Why would you trust Australia on anything? If if they were somebody's au pair. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> if they can, if they can appear, yes, <laughs> indeed, yeah. Let me see here. That one's a bit tricky to go into, and I think I might leave those ones go in the chat room. Anybody got anything of interest to say there? Okay, Peter De Veers was a great Dutch journalist and a true hero and a prolific writer. We will investigate him. Don't know anything about him, Tom. So. Look, I reckon we might sort of call it an early-ish one. Unless you got, did you have some other topic you want? You had something. Oh uh, yeah. So, what? so two things. Firstly, I got my question answered about why aircrew aren't, you know, rebelling and protesting about their their treatment. <laughs> Let me see now. Where have I put it? Basically, the Sydney Morning Herald wrote an article just discussing specifically pilots and how sad they are. Right. So we're not mad, we're sad. Right. Mm. Yep. And then the second thing was my auntie Kath submitted a question, just looking at – I'll just read it again, shall yeah, I? Yeah, yeah, So she's wondering about something she heard on the radio. So let's say my auntie Kath is anti-vax and refuses to be vaccinated and let's say she goes and then gets COVID and spreads it to other family members, friends, colleagues – And one of the people she infects becomes so ill that they lose their ability to work or run their family business and suffer a financial loss. Is it reasonable to expect I recover those losses because I was aware that my disease is highly contagious and I spread it knowing this? Mm. Well, the general law of of 
negligence is that if you do something and it's reasonably foreseeable that you will cause injury or financial loss to someone else because of your actions, then you can be, and, and your actions are negligent, for example, then you can be liable. Like that's sort of the general gist of it. By the way, dear listener, do not take legal advice from a podcast <laughs> and don't in two years' time sue me because you decided <laughs> recklessly to go out spreading disease and because Trevor said it would be okay, I thought I'd do it. <laughs> it's not how it works. And isn't there a different threshold for a civil case mm. as for a criminal case? Yes, there would be. Yeah. So, good point. So, there was a case of, and I'll put a link in the show notes, Zabaruoni, who was a Gold Coast acrobat. Always good for setting legal precedent, a Gold Coast acrobat. And uh, he was initially convicted for spreading AIDS, and he was convicted for grievous bodily harm. And uh, sentenced to nine years jail for intentionally infecting his partner with HIV. Now, that was overturned in the High Court. So he was originally from Zimbabwe. He had regular unprotected sex with his ex-girlfriend of two years and lied to her about his medical history. While he admitted to infecting her, he argued he did not do so deliberately and was ignorant about how the virus, this is AIDS, was transmitted. And the High Court said... Other than the fact that he engaged in frequent unprotected sex, the jury could not infer from the evidence that he intended to give her HIV. And the court found foresight that a result was possible or even certain wasn't a substitute for proof of specific intent. But you're right, that was to do with the criminal case of grievous bodily harm. Civil case would be lower than that and... I don't know is the answer, but I would be worried if I was a defendant, if I had recklessly spread COVID in the community, I would be worried I could be potentially responsible. Now, the anti-vaxxers will claim that either that there is no evidence or that they honestly believed that Mm. and therefore it wasn't intentional, that if they acted Recklessly, it was due to the misinformation that they'd believed. Yeah. Don't think that would really help. Again, don't take legal advice from a podcast, but I just think you'd be in a little... It's always hard to prove with something like this would be, did you really get COVID from this person or was it possible you got it from somewhere else? Like proving it, finding the factual Uh, situation to say, I can be very certain that I got it from this person mm. and not through other means would be tricky. If you were, for instance, in a household and you hadn't left the house. Mm. Mm. Yes. And therefore it was fairly conclusive. It's possible to find the circumstances. It might be possible. I just, I wouldn't like to defend it. No. And you have to prove intent in civil cases. No, you could be quite. Recklessly negligent. No, you could be negligent is just, no, you you just weren't careful enough. Mm. Basically, you weren't paying enough attention. Is is the the essence of negligence. So, Tom, and you and, would have to prove mm. that that person knew they had COVID too, wouldn't you? You'd have to be able to prove they'd been tested and knowingly had COVID and was just, or that they had spreading acted their germs, in a manner that right? was reckless. Surely, yeah. So, like, 
Let's say they had been on an island and they knew that the island population of 400 people, the other 399 had all been tested and all had it, but they'd never been tested. We can probably get, you know, they could probably have to assume that they had it. So Mm. even if they didn't actually know. And if that person then went and negligently started spreading it around, I don't know, Tom, Tom the warehouse guy who's also a lawyer, says uh, civil cases are on the balance of probabilities, criminal cases are beyond a reasonable doubt, yes. But, Tom, what do you reckon if you were uh, a negligent spreader of the COVID virus? You just had to go to Bunnings. And it could be proved that you caused the damage, the injury. You were the one responsible for spreading it, which wouldn't be easy to prove, but if if you could. If you tested positive Mm. and you then deliberately went out not wearing a mask and didn't socially distance from people. Went dancing. Yeah, I, I mm. think, uh, yeah, if you breach quarantine. Yeah. For instance, is that not the same as getting in a car drunk and, and driving? Yeah, but the problem is proving that that person got it from you and not from somebody else. Even if they didn't. Well, you you'd have, have to. You, you'd no, have you, to prove you got your damage from this person. But, so that's... Uh, that's where it would get I suppose difficult. For, for, for a civil case. Yes. But, yeah. I mean, you get in a car drunk, yeah. it doesn't matter whether you hit somebody. Yeah, but you have to prove that you did hit somebody. You for know. a civil case, yes. yes. But for a criminal case, you just need to be in a car and drunk. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it, 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 the, the facts would be difficult to find a factual situation that would provide the evidence that you actually transmitted it to this person and not somebody else. Mm. But if you find that factual situation, I just be tricky. That's one way to get some people lining up to be vaccinated is... Do you civil liability? Yes. 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 That could be one way. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. So... Did the removalists infect their mother or was it the other way around? Well, we don't... This is the point. So we had the removalists down in Sydney who were in trouble for mm-hmm. travelling around the countryside yes. with COVID and their mother died of COVID. And, and they claimed that their English wasn't good enough that when the contact yeah. tracer said, yeah. you've tested positive, isolate, they didn't mm. understand. Yeah, that's quite possible. But mm. so Tom says, I think so. It all depends on whether a duty of care exists. Look, the removalists in Sydney infecting and killing their mother. So that's a classic example where you go, well, who got it first, the mother or the kids? Mm. It's really, who knows? Mm. So factually difficult to show causation of the injury, but mm. possible. So, And that's one where you go and see your lawyer and seek specific advice. <laughs> don't rely on me because I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I think it's quite interesting. It's, it's similar to, was it the environment minister has a duty of care to the future health of younger generations y- yes. around climate change? Yes, not to allow a coal mine because... It's foreseeable that the coal mine will add to climate change, which will cause damage and suffering and impact on the future of the young children. And therefore, Mm. could you get an injunction possibly against anti-vaxxers in the advice that they're giving out is foreseeable to cause injury in the future to a younger, well, to to any generation? Good point. Maybe. You should be a lawyer, Joe. (laughs) <laughs> no, Maybe plaintiff lawyer with class action make a fortune. <laughs> Could be okay. Well, I reckon we're done and dusted. Next week, I will come up with some book review or some other thing. I'm, I'm keen to talk to Cam Riley. I haven't spoken to Cam for ages, so 
Might do something with him. Uh, How's his internet? It's good. Yeah, it's good. So let's do that in the chat room. Alison says, negligence is negligence regardless of a pandemic. Don says, Shay, those sausages are worth the risk. What sausages are those? I don't know what that is. So anyway, it's been a pleasure as always. We'll talk to you next week. Bye for now. Good night. And it's a good night from him. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on.